I will never forget the first time I saw Eli Cook live and in person. It was a sleepy Saturday night in October 2014. My wife and I were celebrating her anniversary at a long weekend at a resort up in the Virginia Blue Ridge Mountains. On our last night in town, we decided to hit a local bar to hear some music, have a few beers, and cap off the weekend. We didn't quite know what we were in for that night, and as we were in the foyer at the bar, checking to see who was on stage, we heard what sounded like an old-school blues trio banging out some acoustic gritty soul numbers with some intensity and some driving beats and some fantastic guitar playing. It sounded like at least two or three guys up on stage banging it out. So imagine our surprise when we turned the corner and we didn't see two or three people. We saw one person, just this guy, Eli Cook. He had two guitars with him, a resonator and a 12-string, and under his feet was a guitar case that he used to keep the beat. One foot played the bass drum, and the other foot had a tambourine to keep the rhythm. And it was something else. How could one person make such a grand sound to create so much music out of so little? While we didn't know it at the time, and I'm not sure Eli knew it either, he was in the very beginnings of a career that has taken him all over the country. And don't take my word for it. National press outlets like No Depression Magazine or The All Music Guide have considered Eli Cook to be the next great blues singer of his generation. And you spend just a few minutes listening to him play and you'll be feeling the same thing too. His sound is intense, it's real, it's gritty, and it's authentic. So as I said, this was back in 2014 when Eli's career was just getting started. He's since opened for a number of blues greats like B.B. King and Taj Mahal. He's played in New York, he's played all over the country. And while Eli, rightfully so, gets a ton of attention for his stellar guitar playing, he's also a prolific singer-songwriter. The songs just keep coming out of him. And so for this episode of Four Songs, Eli gives me an education about his career, his inspiration, and his influences, and how he learned how to play that guitar so damn well. We talk about four songs in particular, actually five songs when you think about it, because the first song we talk about, Death Rattle, he actually did two different ways. The first is an old-school pre-World War II song, he then reinterpreted his own song, adding some crunching guitars, making it a grunge number. In fact, Eli draws a, a direct line between the old-school Mississippi sound of the blues to the 1990s grunge music, particularly Chris Cornell, Kurt Cobain, and Eddie Vedder. All of those singers were influenced by old-school blues musicians, and Eli just draws the line directly. You can hear it in his songs. You can hear it in his voice and his guitar playing. So sit back and buckle up as Eli takes you through a journey back in time and connecting the dots to the future, too, through, all through his music. Enjoy. Hey, Rob. Great to be here, man. Thanks for having yeah. me. Sure. Well, I appreciate it. So this is the fourth episode of Four Songs, and we're speaking with Eli Cook, and I'm thrilled to talk to you. I've been seeing you play for a while now, four or five years now, and it's just been a thrill to, to catch up with you. And just blown away by your talent and your songwriting. So again, I greatly appreciate you giving me some time to chat. Thank you, Rob. No, this is this is awesome, man. Any uh, Anytime the focus is on songwriting uh, as opposed to... Uh, Guitar shredding is always a, a nice change of pace. Yeah, good. So before we get to the songs, and we're talking about four of your songs, the well, actually five, I'll get four and a half if you count both versions of Death Rattle. I'll be talking about Death Rattle 1 and 2, War Horse, Month of Sundays, and All Night Thing, which is your, your newest one. But before we get to the songs themselves, when did you first realize that you just had the talent for the guitar? How did that come about? Well, I... Initially, when I was about 13 or 14, my older brother was, was taking lessons, and one summer he, he went away to, I think, baseball camp or something like that. And while he was gone, I, I started playing his guitar. And I don't know, I, I, when I picked it up, I could I could immediately pick out bass lines from pretty much anything that I listened to. I, I couldn't quite figure out chords initially. And so initially I thought, maybe I should play bass because I can 
and hear those notes and figure them out. So one thing led to the other. I think I was playing, performing songs in church and for sort of community things within, you know, a year, 18 months. But I never thought, oh, I want to be a musician, make a living doing it. That just sort of evolved naturally. I just just really got obsessed with learning how to play and, and trying to put all the pieces together. I'm still still figuring it out. <laughs> so when did you realize that you could write the song? I, I actually, I didn't really try to write any original material cause I, uh, until I went to do what I consider now my first real recording project. It was a, an acoustic solo record called Miss Blues' Child that I did when I was about 17 or 18. And when I was going in about a week in advance, I thought, oh, maybe I should have a couple originals. And so essentially what I did is I, I wrote, I think, two or three songs that, that and basically just tried to sound as much like, you know, these other these other old Roots Blues songs that I was covering as I could, trying to use the the colloquialisms of the time period and, and the, the right kind of language to make it seem like, oh, that's probably an old Roots Blues song. And it, it sits right there with the other ones that he's playing. So that's, that's how I first put, got my foot in the door with songwriting, is, is basically being a, a good mimic. <laughs> so who would you say, then, were some of your early influences, and you mentioned the old blues sound, but are there particular artists? Yeah, as far as songwriting goes, R.L. Burnside, Mississippi Fred McDowell, Sunhouse, uh, and actually Muddy Waters and Willie Dixon. If you actually sit and read the lyrics, so a lot of the songs that Willie Dixon and Muddy Waters wrote together, you, you might not even think initially that they, they were blues songs. They get sort of cerebral in a, in a very uh, salt-of-the-earth manner of speaking pretty frequently, and use of metaphors and, and whatnot is, is pretty prolific in that style. And, and generally speaking, most people don't associate blues lyricism with that. And and early on, I was so especially at that age, I was I was so heavily into that style of music, and also into '90s grunge music. And in that school, you've got people like Chris Cornell and yeah. Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain, as far as songwriters, and and they're they're all pretty amazing songwriters. I saw an immediate correlation, a very close tie between a lot of the the lyrical content, um, especially in, in some of Chris Cornell's writing style and a lot of the blues stuff that I was pulling from. So you mentioned earlier that you, you did play some of your, your churches growing up. How did that influence both your singing and your playing? Well, it, initially, because I was 14 or 15, uh, it was primarily because I was too young to go perform in a bar, and I didn't have a band at that time. So it was just I was trying to take any opportunity I could to, to play in front of people. You know, my, my dad would take me to, to open mic nights, the bars on, on school nights, and a lot of the blues players also played gospel music. And musically speaking, the guitar parts were all very similar, whether you're singing about <laughs> spiritual things or, or hedonistic things. <laughs> the, the, the guitar playing was pretty similar. So it was easy for me to, to jump over and play some gospel music just to have the opportunity to perform live and hone my chops. And I was lucky that I lived in a, in a rural area where I had those opportunities and people were open to that, that style of music. So yeah, and, and it was very fitting with the the legacy of of those performers. Uh, the, a lot of them, like Aretha Franklin, John Lee Hooker, would say, "You play in the bar on Saturday night and play in church on Sunday morning." It seemed like that's what you're supposed to do if you're going to get an education in this style and do it authentically. So now, speaking of the songs, let's let's get into the 
nitty-gritty here. So we're talking about four, I guess I said four and a half, with Death Rattle and Death Rattle's flight return from Ace Jack King, and that was in 2011, and then War Horse from Primitive Sun, which is 2014, and then Month of Sundays from High Dollar Gospel, and then your newest release, All Night Thing. I chose the first two. I just I wanted to kind of vary it up a little bit. You know, we have the kind of the loud, like the electric guitar, the wizardry behind that, and then follow it up with the resonator, and then your your newest material, which I think blends it all together. So let's start with Death Rattle and Death Rattle's Flight Return. I feel like there's a lot going on in that song, particularly the, the sound. And it's interesting because you mentioned how, how you started out playing bass or wanted to play bass. And it feels like at least the first version of this song is really that bass-heavy sound. It, what was the inspiration for, for this song? Ace Jack King was sort of a, a, an extension of the first record that I did, Miss Blues' Child, where I wanted to do uh, I wanted to show the really pre-war roots blues style, which is very raw. A lot of times, it doesn't really change chords; it just sort of drones. It relies heavily on the on the energy and the intensity of the the, the vocal performance and the, and the lyrical content. So, performers like Sunhouse, Skip James, who's in, incredibly haunting, you know that that sort of idea, which is it's it's and simultaneously it's it's extremely minimalist, mm-hmm. but it, at the same time, because you're limiting what you what you can do with instrumentation, it puts so much more emphasis on the vocal performance and the lyrics. Like I said, that you know, while one aspect of it is much simpler, the other aspect is is much more complex because it's it because you are limited. So your your choice your choice in, in phrasing and, and and verbiage is so much more important. Mm-hmm. So. It was sort of a it was a, it was an attempt to try to take that on and and also not seem dated and not have it seem like shtick and when you're working in in these root styles that that's difficult to do because you're you're, you're emulating sounds that were being recorded and popular a hundred plus years ago. That that first song, Death Rattle, that was you know you compare it to Sunhouse's uh, "Grinning in Your Face," which he sang a cappella and is sort of a, a standard, and it could be considered a gospel song, a blues song, and whatever. The lyrics are are pretty powerful, so that's what that song was supposed to sort of emulate. And also back in that time period, whatever genre, people sang about death constantly because it was much more. <laughs> much more of a daily thing uh, for every, in everyone's life back then. Show me. 
are you trying to write from a particular perspective the lyrics here the the pain and heartache is all i see are you trying to put yourself in someone's perspective what's yes and i do that pretty frequently and it's a, it's a mm -hmm. good device for for songwriting where where you can you can remove yourself and not necessarily become a a, a different person but you can try to think in the third person almost you can draw from your own personal experiences but also re remain uh, sort of more removed from them or, or skew them in such a way where they're not so apparently deeply personal that the listener can't relate to them. And that, mm -hmm. that's, that's important. Um, you, don't, you don't want to fall into the, the trap that a lot of, of singer-songwriters do of, of becoming too dear diary, where you're writing so first-person, so from a personal standpoint, that it becomes increasingly difficult for the listener to inject their own experiences into what they're hearing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you, you want that so that it becomes more personal to them. I like that analogy. You're right. I think so many, it becomes well with me. And like, okay, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> One of the things I like about this song is, you, know, you mentioned the minimalist, but I feel like at least in the, in the first version, in the background, you hear your, your whirring guitar, yet there's just, you're doing a lot with playing the notes in the back. It's not just the chords, it's not just the thumping bass, but there's just kind of a, kind of a mystical background sound. It's, That's another another trait of of that that pre-war North Mississippi hill country kind of style is, is even though it, it's it's very uh, it can be very repetitive and seemingly simplistic it, it also very very often uh, creates sort of a trance-like feeling and that's part of the uh, the allure of that that style I would say um, people like Mississippi Fred McDowell are especially good at that. So it's once again, it's one of those things where it seems simple to do, but it's really easy to do it badly. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> how long did it take you to put this? I'm talking about the first version here. How long did it take you to kind of put all together in the package of the, you know, the lyrics, the music? That that song I came together pretty pretty quickly, and part of that too is 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 once again the, not worrying too much about what the the guitar part or the music. Is you know if you if you're not worried about chord changes and you don't you're not worried about having a bridge, you know, or a guitar solo necessarily, then you can just focus on two or three primary uh, parts, you know, the lyrics, singing, and and basically your rhythm. Now the second version is completely different. What kind of led you to to the second version of it? Going back to that idea I had where I that I mentioned earlier where I I, I saw a a pretty distinct line connecting early blues lyricism and, and a lot of the grunge rock. That was the impetus for the, the second version of, of Death Rattle. So I wanted to present it with essentially the same lyrics, but uh, in a completely different musical format, and it's, it's, it's a hard rock song. I think there was also... A, uh, I've always been frustrated with whenever you record something, people want to know what, what genre you can classify it as, which I've always basically been all over the map. And the whole idea of genres wasn't really created until people started trying to sell and market records. You know, at the turn of the century, if you were a performing musician for a living, most musicians played a little bit of everything. You can look at Lead Belly. Lead Belly played country music and gospel music mm -hmm. and blues and everything um, because they had to. 
on the one end, I, I feel like the first song, the person, the narrator is it's like, yeah, it's all I got, pain and heartache is all I see, and just kind of resigned to it, whereas the second one, the guy's he's angry. He's like, man, pain and heartache is all I see. <laughs> Well, it's funny, you know, Kurt Cobain did a, an entire recording session of, of nothing but Lead Belly covers, which, you know, when, and then when they did the, uh, when Nirvana did the Unplugged album, they closed with Where Did You Sleep Last Night, which is a Lead Belly song. It's been a, sta- a bluegrass standard for decades. So that's another example of a song that can be played in different formats by different artists over different generations, and it translates just as well. I wanted to jump now to War Horse from Primitive Sun. I, I love this song. It's just the riff, and then there's that initial pause when you kind of do the and then you go back into the riff. I, I feel like <laughs> you're making a statement here, just musically and then lyrically. <laughs> That, that record was definitely more more involved musically. Uh, it was an, it was for Cleopatra Records, so I was sort of trying to make a a more grand effort with a lot of the musical arrangement. That that song lyrically, I was more I was paying more attention current events and the state of things in the world in general, socially, culturally, politically, all those things, and so that's. That's essentially what the lyrics are addressing in, in some broad sense. But then musically, it's it. I was definitely pushing for sort of a a Led Zeppelin I mean, government mule type of uh, mm-hmm. level level of complexity with 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 the guitar parts and the and the chord structures and, and the solos and everything. So I feel like, in a sense, this is a kind of a personal song. Like you're kind of declaring, "This is what I'm gonna. This is my life. I'm gonna make this happen. I play this music well. Everyone else seems to be worried about." making the, the, the pyramid scheme or you know, making money the apathetic suit I like that that line in particular Yeah. 
especially it, it becomes more most apparent i think at the, uh, the bridge where there's the trying to tell somebody you know I, I would suppose a young person you know the importance of trying to find find a purpose or, or something that they can be passionate about um the importance of that but I, was, I was very fortunate in that early on i was, I, I was always very driven and, and knew what i wanted to do and what i like to do um mm-hmm. and and playing music, I, I, you know, I've, I've always heard from from people, especially at, at, at shows, is they'll come up and tell me how fortunate I am in that I that I like what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that always seems kind of depressing to me. I'm like, man, so many people just don't like what they have to do for a living. That seems horrible. And, <laughs> There's a lot of times with songs, I'll have the like what I like to call the meat and potatoes. I'll have the the verse and the chorus and the chord general chord structure figured out, and then you need the the extra fifteen percent, which is you know the bridge or the the outro or the, the connecting little bits and pieces that help it ebb and flow. So those parts usually take a little longer because those are those are a little more subtle. But uh, I don't know. It, it really it really. It, it varies greatly. I mean, sometimes I, I come up with an entire entire piece in in a day, you know, lyrics and music and everything. Other times, that can be pulling riffs from song ideas I had years ago. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. In some cases, like, does do you have the song, the music in your mind, and then you kind of find the right lyrics, or vice versa for some certain numbers? Usually, there's a phrase. Um, and I think with the best best stuff I've ever come up with, it's usually whatever the the key phrase is, whether that's the title of the song or the the chorus line hook. So that song, the key phrase is Warhorse, and I came up. I liked the phrase, and I said so. And I'll say, what is this phrase? What does this phrase sound like? What what guitar part would go with this? And then I come up with that intro guitar lick. I'm like, okay, those those two things work together. Now we have the the foundation for we have the seed of a of a of a strong piece here. <laughs> what next? <laughs> uh, so this is not the greatest transition. I'm still working on. I've been doing this how to transition <laughs> into some songs. So the next number I wanted to talk about was "Month of Sundays" from your last full album, High Dollar Gospel. And I, as I mentioned in the intro, I I wanted to pick a couple songs that are more electric based, where you get to just get into it and do some headbanging and the next two are going to be more of the, the bluesy and then certainly on this one in particular the resonator how did this one come about in a similar way i, I thought of the phrase uh, sundays and i said well that's a great song title it's not as angry sounding as war horse <laughs> you know so it's not going to be a rock song what would it sound like and that one's actually it's pretty it's pretty complicated musically but I, I think I wrote that in, in a day or two. I came up with the, the, the initial verse idea and lyrics, and then I, I came up with the chorus, I think, the next day. Okay, because I hear some Taj Mahal. Speaking of Taj, I got to open for him a few times, and one time we were up, I think, at the Howard Theater in D.C. Hey. He has the same exact resonator 
guitar that I do, except his is oh, much wow. older. And yeah. so uh, the two, both of our guitars were next to each other on stage, and his was, you know, it had aged, and the metal had patinaed and whatnot, so I got this really cool photograph of the two of them next to each other. watch old movies and such as much as possible because the language is so rich on uh, the phrases that you come up with that a lot of times that's they can be great great sources of inspiration because of that i remember oh it was a it was a jack nicholson meryl streep it was, a, it was originally a play it's set during the great depression and, and nicholson is a, is a hobo but anyway there was this phrase in it he called a uh, a graveyard the bone orchard I said, oh man, that's really good. That sounds like such a, a Tom Waits phrase. I'm gonna, I'm, I am going to use that, and I, I did. Yeah, I like that because that's essentially because you're you're always writing then, in a sense. You're always looking for for something, and you hear a phrase, or whether it's from an old movie or from something else, it seems like then you're always searching. Yeah, you have to. You have yeah. to. I mean, it's, I, I'm just a good mimic, man. I'm just <laughs> I'm just stealing from from things that most people haven't heard yet. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention is I feel like what you're doing, you're interpreting and kind of reinterpreting sound. It's not you're not impersonating or what you say mimicking. I feel like you're actually bringing a, a your element to it. So it is, well, it's influenced. It's there's still a sense of, of you and some originality in there to it, too. I mean, is that obviously that's something you have to work hard on, but that's what I think makes you stand out. Especially when I first started writing when I was a teenager. You know, I, I knew then, I, was, I, I don't have that much to write about. <laughs> you know, I mean, I haven't, I, what have I seen or done? Not much. But, you know, give it 15 years. <laughs> get, get, make a few make a few bad decisions or, or maybe a lot and uh, you'll create some source material. <laughs> so the, the voice definitely gets more defined with age. So lyrically, is this based on anything in particular? That one, not essentially. I mean, there are little, little snippets of, of inspiration, but sometimes it's good to paint with a, with a broad stroke, once again, because it can keep it a little open-ended to the, for the listener. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like this is definitely something that everybody can relate to lyrically. Yeah, but I like it in the chorus, but there is an element in the production of it. Yeah, but especially when you when you get to the to wreck and ruin line, and in the background, you hear your guitar kind of go up and your voice goes down. My engineer and I, we, we spent a lot of time little things like that and trying to layer in little little bits and pieces of, of things, but at real subtly because we wanted to keep it up very much a sort of a roots stripped down 
record. So we didn't want to overdo it. We didn't want to step on the, the sort of organic quality of, of the single guitar part and the single vocal. But yeah, we definitely did little things like that throughout that album. And that and just to create a little bit more of an atmospheric effect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I appreciate your time. We got one more number here, the, their newest All Night Thing, which is just came out as an EP, but you said you're working on completing a full album around it. Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, and hopefully we'll have that out in the fall. And, and the goal with this is to, to do a, a full a full band, rocked out record, and to make it have, uh, to have it be fun. Uh, I, most, of, most of my recording and songwriting over the years has, has had a pretty consistently kind of a serious <laughs> quality to it. I think just for a change of pace, I'd, I want to do something that's the opposite of that. And yeah. so it's a different approach for me, trying to have certainly a, a level of throwback elements to the writing. Uh, that song in particular, All Night Thing, uh, lyrically I'm sort of trying to emulate Chuck Berry, got some rockabilly influence and, and all. It's, it's very 1950s uh, in my mind. But with modern modern recording and, and production value. In a way, I feel like it's sort of the, the, the merging of, of all your influences kind of wrapped up into one song because you do kind of hear the southern, but, but you hear the southern sound, but there is a bit of a grunge element to it, especially over the last two years since since High Dollar Gospel. And with High Dollar Gospel, I was starting to, I felt sort of really fall into my own sound pretty mm-hmm. consistently with lyrics and, and everything, and so this is this is hopefully the next step up. Uh, with that progression how long when did you realize it, that you had this one down probably two winters ago and this is this is one that i, I wrote very quickly probably in a day or two and when we did the first uh demo that which i just went in and, and played all the parts in, in in about an hour everybody in the room is like well that's done we just need to <laughs> rec- record it for real just don't change anything just do, do it again but we'll <laughs> we'll use more than one microphone <laughs> you know so are you playing the drums on this one too? No, that's a friend of mine, Nate Brown, on, on the drums. But he's fantastic, fantastic drummer and person. Uh, you mentioned like you want to have fun. I feel like lyrically you had a lot of fun with this one. You're referencing the Samson and Delilah and Romeo and Juliet and Mona Lisa and then, of course, the all-night thing. I was in New Jersey. We were, I was supposed to open for Robin Trower, and he got the flu. We were staying at a friend's house. I had the, the guitar riff already, and I 
we ended up having to kill a few hours and I wrote the, the three verses. That was it. Yeah. yeah, it makes it sound so easy, but I know it's not. <laughs> For every, you know, successful bit of writing, there's there's many many hundreds of snippets of of scraps left in, in its wake. <laughs> so for the solo for this, did that just kind of evolve as, as your typical solos do? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it sort of helps having having kind of a a set form that you're trying to emulate like i mentioned chuck berry mm-hmm. uh so there are two leads on that on that song the first one is is very chuck berry-esque and then i actually cop sort of some some piano licks at the end of it from uh reese winans uh from from double trouble And then the second solo is definitely more of a sort of a screaming, you know, over the top kind of thing, you know, and that's that's sort of more of a modern kind of Gary Moore, Jimi Hendrix kind of approach. It's a nice dynamic, it sort of it gives the song a build throughout. Mm-hmm. that I use for, for testing a, a new song is if I can if I can go play it by myself in front of an audience of people that some of them know me, some of them don't know me, and strangers, whatever, and they can get turned on by the song if they get excited about it unprovoked. Like I said, like they didn't buy tickets, they're not there specifically to hear me, then I know that it's at least a good idea of a song. If you don't even if you don't even introduce a song, you don't say I wrote this or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You're just doing your thing. And you throw it in the middle of a set, and people turn around and go, "Hey, that's cool." Yeah. Then you know you got something. Yeah. So, um, and if I can't do that, then I scrap it. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't used to do that. I used to try to force things, and it's not how it works. Again, Eli, I greatly appreciate your time. And just as we wrap up, what do you expect to be happening, just with musically now with the seeming like you're able to do some more shows, but what what do you expect to to happen over the next couple months and wrapping up your your, your new wrapping up your new album? Well, as far as the, the record goes, I'm definitely gonna get it knocked out. Uh, as far as performing live goes, I think it's completely up in the air. I would I would be surprised if we saw any real touring or real reopening of, of ticketed venues uh before next spring and summer. I think right now it's, it's fortunate that it's summer because people like me can at least do outdoor performances. So uh, real quick, uh, where can folks, if, if they want to hire you for a private show, or how can they get in touch with you? The website, elicook.com, and it has all the links to the pertinent social media platforms and Spotify and iTunes and all the places you can download, whatnot. And of course, if you come to a gig, you can always get all the merch there. Got some cool new T-shirts and graphics we've been putting together recently so cool all that jazz <laughs> all right well uh, again you know, i greatly appreciate your time and oh likewise 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Four Songs. For anyone wondering why the sound got a little spotty at the end there, we had to conduct this one over a cell phone given our schedules. And if you want to know what's going on with my cell phone reception, you can just call and thank Verizon for me. Anyway, thanks to Eli Cook for joining me and stay tuned for our next episode.